Welcome to PwC's Tax Reform Readiness Podcast Series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Reform Readiness Webcast Series, held on December 6, 2018, addressing the Section 163J proposed regulations. The panelists for this webcast include Rebecca Lee, a PwC tax principal, Matthew Chen, a PwC tax partner, and Susan Conklin, a PwC tax director, all part of our international tax services practice, as well as Karen Lonis, a PwC tax partner in our mergers and acquisitions practice. This excerpt consists of a general discussion among the panelists, providing a general overview of the application of the Section 163J proposed regulations for partnerships. Have a listen. So, Karen, partnership mechanics. Okay, so I know that most of you, when you see the word partnership, your eyes start rolling up in your head. So what I'm going to do here um, at the beginning is something I'm going to call partnership light. (laughs) So the whose eyes are starting to roll, stay with me for one slide. I think this is very useful and practical. uh, Six points um, to take take away from today as far as it applies to partnerships. Um, The first point is, um, as expected, Uh, The regulations are applying these rules at the partnership level. Uh, We knew when the the rules came out um, a year ago that by applying the test at the partnership level rather than at the partner level, it was going to lead to a very complex regime given the balance between aggregate and entity approaches uh, with partnerships. And um, true to form, there are 40 pages in these regulations of substantive rules, 1,000 references to partnerships. So it has uh, and is very complex. Um, stay with me. Keep your eyes from rolling up in your head, though. Um, like corporations, uh, the general rule is that these uh, limitations at the partnership level will only apply to business interest expense, not investment interest expense. Uh, so partnerships who uh, have uh, debt and really only owned corporations uh, – through the tracing rules, that should end up being investment interest expense by and large, and you will not have a limitation uh, at the partnership level. Uh, and then point three here is, like uh, Susan mentioned, um, we will have um, a conversion from, uh, if you're a corporate partner, once you get a distributive share of investment income or investment expense from a partnership, those two items will convert to either business interest income or business expense, interest expense. Uh, so that, that, that combination of um, not trapping interest expense in a partnership mm-hmm. um, when it has passive type assets and allowing it to flow up to corporate partners who then can test it at their level was a, a really favorable rule. And, and probably given the, the entity level test, probably about as good as we could have expected as a general matter. So so glad to see that. Um, as we discussed earlier, not so happy with the uh, inclusion of guaranteed payments for the use of capital, um, but it's there. And, and I appreciate uh, it's burdening a lot of other uh, disciplines as well. So um, the, the next key point is um, that once um, it's determined that business ex- interest expense is deductible at the partnership level, it is not going to be retested at the partner level. Uh, and it will come through in, in something that is now defined as a non-separately stated item. It's one of our new fun terms we have in the 163J rules around partnerships. So uh, no double testing, no double counting, and no double testing. So uh, we get the good and the bad with, with that. Um, six is a, is a really a key point to take, to take away with, which is um, these rules 
uh, do not impact the ability or validity of specially allocating items uh, through the partnership. It, it, there are other rules um, within the 163J testing that may go back and look at some of those special allocations to de- decide whether or not they impact the deductibility of interest or interest income inclusions. Uh, but by, but clearly and indirectly, they state uh, they do not intend to affect uh, the ability to do special allocations um, or any of the subsidive partnership allocation regimes. And so I think that was a nice confirmation to have. Okay, so that was a sub-K light. <laughs> We're going to go to sub-K uh, medium here. These are special uh, um, rules applying uh, to the calculation of adjusted taxable income. And we, of course, have to have two levels because of the aggregate entity nature of partnerships. So the first adjustment for um, ATI uh, goes to special basis adjustments under Section 734. And we have th- 734 adjustments and 743 adjustments. And, and you, you know, we do that to be tricky. But 734 adjustments are adjustments that are made at the partnership level to partnership basis. These arise when you distribute cash and gain is recognized, or you distribute property to a partner, and the partner does not take the same tax basis that the partnership had. So these type of adjustments are at the partnership level. They generate deductions at the partnership level, and these do enter into the partnership's calculation Mm -hmm. of ATI. Um, The second type of adjustments are only at the partner level. These are a little bit more complex and nuanced, um, and most of you uh, likely don't see the last two types of adjustments. So the first type of adjustment is a 743B adjustment. That is the type of adjustment that a partner gets when they buy a partnership interest, Mm -hmm. and they get a special step up in basis related to um, their interest and their interest only. And, And this is probably one of the, the biggest positives about partnerships in general as compared to buying stock in a corporation. So you get that the basis step up. So to the extent you as a partner have a special basis adjustment under 743B, that is not included in the partnership's 163J calculation. You'll look at those deductions at the partner level in your ATI calculation. Now, the second two, like I said, are a little bit more nuanced. The first one deals with um, what happens when you contribute built-in loss property to a partnership. Um, We can't transfer that loss to other partners, so any uh, value that's uh, in excess or less than the basis of the property stays outside the partnership. So those built-in losses on the date of contribution stay with the partner, and if that property is disposed of, that is a loss that will only be taken into account by the partner and adjust their ATI. And then finally, my favorite, remedial items. Um, now, I know your eyes are up in your head, so bring them back down because this is medium. Uh, remedial items deal with built-in gain property and choices that partners make on how they're going to deal with current allocations of uh, depreciation and amortization items. Uh, So these are ones that would end up causing income to one partner to effectively fund a deduction to another. Those items on both sides are not at the partnership level and will be um, taken into account at the partner level for purposes of ATI. Finally, with respect to sales of partnership interest, uh, if a partner sells their interest and has gain or loss, that's obviously at the partner level. Uh, The special rule there is you do need to look through to see what portion of the gain relates to exempted or accepted businesses versus Mm non-accepted, and only non-accepted gains would increase your ATI. 
Yeah, and Karen, uh, just a quick point. One of the things that I found surprising is that these items that are determined at the partner level can affect the deductibility of interest from completely other different sources as well. Well, you must have read the slides because we're <laughs> going to move on to a, an example um, because I, I, I think it really tells the story and, and it's somewhat of a surprising result. So um, we have what I think is a fairly straightforward example. We have a partnership PRS that has two equal partners uh, that are 50-50. Y has purchased its interest uh, in the past and has a 743B adjustment with respect mm -hmm. to Black Acre property in the partnership of $100. So the partnership had no basis in the, the asset, but Y purchased its, its interest and was allocated $100 of this special basis um, adjustment. If we assume as part of this example that um, the only income for this particular year that the partnership has is the gain from the disposition of a black acre, um, how do you look at the partnership calculation and what is available, if any, to X and Y with respect to the $15 of business interest expense uh, that the partnership had? And for this purpose, we're assuming that that business interest expense is allocated 50-50. Um, so let, let's go to the right side here and, and just go through these calculations. Now, what we're illustrating is we have the 743B um, adjustment. We have Y has stepped into the shoes of someone who contributed that property with a zero basis. So it's subject to those special 704C rules that allocate all of the gain from the disposition of the black acre back to Y. Um, so when we look at the partnership level, the partnership level has $100 of ATI because it sold the black acre for $100 and $100 of taxable income. Its Section 163J limit is 30, 30%. Its excess taxable income is $50. And the, its $15 of business interest expense is not limited because it's less than limitation. Now, remember, we said that that $15 is going to flow up to X and Y and, and not be subject to mm -hmm. any further limitation as, as a non-separately stated item. So not focusing as much on the business interest income, but now what we've done is we've allocated a nice chunk of ETI up to Y. And one might say, well, that's really great. I have additional ETI to add to my 50 of ATI. Clearly, if I have $100 combined... I should be able to take my $20 of business interest expense. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, because of these addbacks that we just went through under ATI, uh, Y is going to have to add back um, the 743 adjustment that it took to offset the taxable income uh, at the part at its level. So unfortunately, Y X is Y is going to get the 7.5 of deductible business interest expense. That's not the issue. But when Y is allocated 50 of ETI and increases its uh, ATI to 100, um, it's going to have this 704C gain and offsetting 743B allocation. So that ends up being a net zero taxable income to Y. Um, and so now when we look at poor Y, Y has 50 of ETI, 50 of ATI, but this negative 100 of the 743B adjustment. So the full $20 is disallowed and carried forward. So again, this is uh, just one very simple uh, example of uh, not just in the partnership area, but unfortunately a lot of modeling, a lot of quantitative analysis that has to be done. And, and we're seeing that obviously across the spectrum and a lot of the tax reform provisions, uh, and, and no exception here. Okay. So... 
sub K really heavy. Um, there is an 11 step process in the regulations with five guiding principles. Um, it is getting a lot of uh, spotlight as the hallmark of the regulations. I- I'd like for folks to, to think about this as um, really not applying to most situations. If you allocate and have all straight up net income, net loss type of allocations, this 11-step process really should not cause any of your deductible business expense to become non-deductible. Where you're allocating gross items of interest expense in one direction and interest income in another, this rule could easily come into play and try to marry those up with the design trying not to create income and expense at the different partner levels. Um, so that's the intent. It's, it's a mix of aggregate and entity. Uh, but by and large, again, if everything in your partnership is, is fairly straightforward, we wouldn't expect it to uh, come into play. It doesn't mean you don't have to do the analysis, but we don't expect it to come into play in a negative way. Okay. Uh, excess business interest expense uh, carry forwards. Um, we have special rules in the partnership uh, area. So we have excess business expense carry forwards, which is, a, again, a, a special term within Dash 6 for partnerships. Uh, here, we were pretty pleased. The uh, preamble identified three options that the government considered. One was um, much worse for taxpayers and would have only allowed uh, partners to use their excess business interest expense to the extent of 30% of the ETI from that particular partnership. Uh, the, the very favorable would have been to, to allow a dollar-for-dollar dollar offset, uh, but what we see in the proposed regs is some middle ground, uh, which effectively says uh, if you have a carryover interest expense from a partnership, as soon as you get ETI equal to that amount, it freeze that up and it springs it into a, a business interest expense at the partner level and it's treated like any other business interest expense of the partner. And so it's then subject to the normal limitation, generally speaking, the 30% of ATI. So it's a two-step approach, uh, but again, um, middle of the road and uh, we're pretty pleased with that. And as I think we move to the next slide on the um, the carry forward example, it's worth noting more fundamentally that the preamble to these regulations, I would say, uh, consistent with the preambles to many of the other tax reform reg packages, um, has been very detailed, very thoughtful, um, and I think was done intentionally to make sure that the um, not just that we can see that they've considered in many cases three potential paths forward and they pick one, but also to lay the administrative path that they sort of have really thoughtfully considered uh, feedback received in advance of the proposed regulations as well as fully considered alternatives in issuing the proposed regulations. So um, I think that was done with thought and care. Yes. Well, 40 pages and a thousand references, lots of thought. Indeed. So why don't we spend just a minute on the example before we go to reserve matters? Um, well, you know, the, the example is, is illustrates a couple different concepts. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that um, primarily it's designed to show how, um, why here, um, and it gets to free up its carry forward. So um, what we have here is X and Y each have $5 of carry forward from business expense from prior years. Um, and then in the second year, the partnership has 110 of adjusted taxable income, uh, zero business interest expense, interest income, I'm sorry, and 30 of business interest expense. 
The partnership is a straight-up 50-50 partnership, and um, the example in the regulations talks about the $55 of ATI being allocated to both X and Y, but we know that the only thing that really comes out of a partnership and is available for the partners is ETI. But included that because that is the way that the regs are thinking about it, because you do allocate your ETI the way you allocate your ATI. So it's instructive to see that was 50-50. Um, X has $100 of ATI and 20 of business expense from a, a separate uh, business, uh, independent from the partnership. And Y has zero of ATI and $20 of business interest expense from its separate business um, businesses. So when we go to the partnership level calculation, we know that the partnership's limit is 33 uh, because it had 110 of ATI and 30% of that is, is 33. And then the PRS also has $10 of ETI um, and $30 of deductible business expense. Uh, we know that that gets captured in the non-separately stated items and is not going to be retested at the partner level. But now the question becomes, this $5 carry forward, is that available to X and or Y in year two. Um, so X and Y each have the $5 of ETI from this current year. And that, that what that will do is spring into existence uh, as a current year deduction uh, of business interest expense to X and Y, their $5 that they carried forward. So provided that when they test at that level, that five, they have enough ATI from all of their other activities, that $5 that from year one is treated as those incurred in year two. So each of them end up in a different place. One has enough um, ATI from its, that year and the partner X that didn't have any ATI. It continues to be limited. But what's interesting is the limitation now is no longer in the stash six partnership world. It's treated as any, like any other carry forward for the partner. Interesting. Um, so, yeah. So, and then um, let me wrap up just by saying um, there are a couple pretty critical reserve matters. Um, one goes to self-charge lending transactions, and that is intended to be a taxpayer favorable rule, and they foreshadow where they're going, which is loans between partnerships and partners, I think, could wreak some havoc on the way cause unexpected limitations. Mm -hmm. So the idea that um, is put forth in the proposed regs, they want comments, but anticipate uh, effectively ignoring both sides of the transaction to simplify the rules and not cause uh, whipsaw. Uh, the tiered partnership rules have been uh, reserved, and those will clearly be some of the most complicated. Uh, and then finally, partnership mergers and divisions are always hard. So I think I'm not sure that they're really very pressing issues for us on those in this area, but they just reserve because they always reserve in that area. So uh, expect a lot of comments uh, coming in, particularly on the tiered partnership. Yeah, Karen, I think that's probably one of the most complicated areas. But that's not to undersell how complicated the international provisions are in this package. <laughs> we'll try our best. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like more information about this topic, please email the speakers. You can find their contact information in the description of this episode. Thank you.